Our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 40, if you'd like to be turning there. Uh, If you happen to be using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 857. And if you're just joining us, we're, uh, no no surprise, Christmas has just come and gone. And we've we've been going through a series on Advent. And looking uh, for the last number of weeks in Luke chapter 1 and 2 at... uh, at the characters of Luke 1 and 2, seeing Christmas through their eyes, seeing this coming of Jesus through their eyes. We've seen this with Elizabeth and with Mary, with Zechariah, with the shepherds. And this morning we come to two more characters as we come to the end of Luke chapter 2, Simeon and Anna. Let me pray for us and we'll read and we'll get started. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as people very much in need of your word. And so we ask this morning that that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts to your word and your word to us, that you might do your good work of changing us and making us more like you, that you would bring uh, further and deeper understanding to our minds as we look at scripture, that you would give and increase our affection for you, our God and our Savior. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. This is Mary and Joseph several weeks after the birth of Jesus. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, and a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord, and it's given for our good and for his glory. Again, we've looked at several characters in Luke 1 and 2 over the last number of weeks, and Simeon and Anna stand out to me uh, in, in a unique way. And, and, and maybe it's this. 
as we look at Luke 1 and 2 together, and you know, we spent several weeks on it. If you were just to sit down and read through Luke 1 and 2, it would just take you a matter of minutes. We would see all these characters coming, uh, being confronted with the birth of Jesus and how they respond in faith. And if we look at them together, we see that, that Jesus comes and reveals himself and brings change to all kinds of people. I mean, he comes to educated religious professionals like Zechariah, a priest in the temple. And he comes to uneducated, very common people like shepherds out in the field. And he comes to men and to women. And he comes to the old and to the young. He comes to all kinds of people. And everyone we've looked at so far have been receptive to the coming of Jesus, but they have been surprised by God stepping into their midst and working in this dramatic way. But this morning we come to two people who respond in faith, but... uh, really without surprise. We come to two people who were waiting, who had their eyes open to see what God was doing. And God comes and reveals himself to them. He comes to the surprised and to the ready. And today we see the ready. I'm struck by Anna and Simeon in particular. Uh, Camper, uh, our associate pastor, he and I were talking about this passage about a week ago. And he, he made this comment to me that stuck with me. He said, I wish... For Simeon and Anna, Anna, I wish their excitement and expectation of the Lord more marked my own life. I've been thinking about that this week as we've gone through Christmas and thinking about my own sense of excitement and expectation. Another way of putting that is think about my own thirst of the soul for the presence of God. Because Simeon and Anna were thirsty people who come and find exactly what they're thirsting for in the presence of God. Are we thirsty people? Am I a thirsty person? Well, that's what this text is about. We see them, Simeon and, and Anna, these two, in, in some ways, very different people. You've got Simeon. Uh, if, if you've ever seen you know, paintings of this scene, Simeon's often depicted, depicted as an old man. We don't know. The text doesn't say that. It does tell us that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah that was to come. Uh, and he's not a religious professional. seems to be a lay person. We don't know anything else about what he did other than that he was attuned to the Holy Spirit and he was in the temple that day and he saw what God had to bring. And then we've got Anna, who uh, is a widow. She says she's been, uh, that she was married for seven years and then her husband died. And the way the ESV says it, she was then a widow for 84 years. Uh, there's a couple ways this could be translated. It could be that she was married, and in that age, she probably would have been married at about age 15. She was married for seven years. And another way to translate the text is she was then a widow for 84 years, which would put her, would put her over 100 years old. So you've got these two, in some sense, ordinary people, yet people who were so extraordinary, people who knew God, who were thirsty for him, and who were given this incredible vision of God, the king, as he comes. Uh, reminds me is... Uh, many of the commentators point out on this passage of Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and appear before God? That was a cry of Simeon and Anna's soul. They were thirsty for their God. And we get this great picture, and this is kind of the central metaphor for this text and for what we're going to discuss this morning. You get this great picture of Simeon coming into the temple, and he spots Mary and Joseph. And there may well have been many young couples there that day coming to dedicate their children. 
and we have no reason to believe that Mary and Joseph had any idea who Simeon was. We don't know, but suddenly this man steps up to them, and he takes their son into his arms, and he embraces him. And listen to what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. If you're Mary and Joseph, strange, isn't it? Who is this person and what is he saying? And one more remarkable message given about this incredible child that we have been entrusted with. But here is that picture of Simeon embracing this child and for us embracing his king. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Simply this, that spiritual life is only found in embracing Jesus our king. Spiritual life is only found in embracing Jesus our king. We see several things about this embrace. We see, we're going to see that embracing Jesus, our King, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that embracing Jesus as our King is a life-defining choice. We're going to say that embracing Jesus as our King brings a deep security of soul. Okay, those three things. First, that embracing Jesus as King... Uh, is a gift of the Spirit. Look, look at what, is told, what we're told about Simeon in verses 25 through 27. We don't know anything about what he does. We don't know anything about his job. What we do hear about uh, are his character, that he is a devout and righteous man. And then we're told three times about the incredible power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life. Okay, and this is new language for Luke here in the second chapter of his gospel. Here, in three times in two verses, he's talking about the presence of the Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit was given at particular times for particular tasks. For example, uh, King, uh, king Saul, when he becomes king, God's Spirit rests upon him to empower him for that job. And when Saul proves faithless, God's Spirit is withdrawn. Kings in the Old Testament are anointed by God's Spirit. Prophets are anointed by God's Spirit. And here we have Simeon anointed by God's Spirit, incredibly at work in his life. We hear that uh, the Holy Spirit was upon him. We hear that the Holy Spirit had somehow told Simeon that he would not die until he had seen uh, the Lord's Savior. And then on this particular day, he comes into the temple in the Spirit. Now, we, we, we don't know what that looked like for him or, or what was going on in his mind that day. Maybe he woke up that day to hear the Spirit's voice saying, Simeon, today is the day. Get up. Go to the temple. How am I going to know, Lord, who, who it is? Don't worry. I'll show you when you get there. What happens? He comes to the temple. Again, there might have been many couples there. We don't know. There might have been many couples there that came to dedicate their children, but somehow Simeon looks and sees Mary and Joseph, and he sees Jesus. By the power of the Spirit, he knows this is the king who was to come comes up to Mary and Joseph and embraces that king and speaks these words over him. But what we see here at the very beginning, it is the Holy Spirit that reveals this to Simeon. And throughout Scripture, it is always the Holy Spirit who brings the work of Jesus into our lives. It is a work of God's Spirit coming to us, coming after us. And for anyone who comes to put their faith in Jesus, it is only by this route that the Holy Spirit comes and turns the lights on, lifts up the curtains, and you see and realize 
this, this is the king. This is the king. Now, a lot of us might uh, easily object and just say, look, you know, I've never heard the Holy Spirit whisper in, in my ear, you know. He's, he's never come and said, you know, get up, go, go, go to the temple today. You're going you're gonna, you're gonna to meet your Savior. Uh, I, I've never heard words like that. Does he really speak to me like that? Does he? You know, it's interesting. Scripture tells us when we open the pages of Scripture and read, we hear the voice of God's Spirit, the very words of God coming to us power of the Holy Spirit. So for even, even for us, sitting here in Williamsburg, Sunday after Christmas, this little corner of the world, we open these pages and we read, and we do in fact hear God's Spirit calling to us. That's what we're experiencing even right now as God's words come to us from the pages of Scripture. Romans 8, 9 says, you, how, who, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. What's he saying? Anyone who comes to faith has the Spirit of God implanted in their life. Now, we said in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to particular people for particular tasks, as it is for Simeon. But the, the astounding part of the astounding news of the New Testament, as Jesus comes, and in the book of Acts, as He ascends into heaven, He gives, and at the day of Pentecost, gives his spirit to all his people in a permanent way. God's spirit comes in and invades our lives, never to be removed for his people, poured out in an unbelievable way, more, more richly, more fully than ever before in the history of God's people. So Simeon here has a taste of that as he comes and sees his king. And God continues to, cor- to pour out his spirit on all that he calls. If anyone comes and hears the words of Jesus, is because the, God's Spirit is at work in our lives. And it is only by God's Spirit that we're able to do that. Holy Spirit is the one who comes and convicts us of sin, who convinces us of our need for a Savior, who draws us to Jesus, who becomes our counselor and our comforter. We've been talking these last few weeks about Jesus being the gift of Christmas. The Holy Spirit is the one who delivers that gift into our lives. So let me just ask us, it's worth pausing as we look at this particular point and we look at Simeon, filled with the Spirit, embracing the King. Do you have that kind of relationship with God through Jesus? The evidence of that is the work of His Spirit in your life drawing you to Jesus because there is no spiritual life to be found anywhere else. And for us, as we continue to walk with Jesus, do we see this evidence of a continuing and growing thirst to know God better, a continuing desire to grow in depth of intimacy and relationship with our God. The Holy Spirit came to bring us that. Simeon is described as righteous and devout. If you're like me, maybe you look at your own life and it doesn't seem like maybe the first two adjectives that come to mind. But what does come? Well, we hear and see in the gospel that we do have a righteousness and a devoutness that is given to us as a gift that we have a Savior that has come not to reward our righteousness, but to give us His righteousness, to call us into relationship with Him. People like you, people like me. It's the good news of the gospel, and it's what the Holy Spirit brings into our life. That's what happened to Simeon. He was receptive to it. Okay, now the second thing we see, though, 
if we're going to be people who embrace the king, not only is that a, <clears throat> excuse me, a gift of the Holy Spirit, it is also at the same time a life-defining choice that we make. No one comes to faith except by the work of the Spirit. And that work, the Holy Spirit comes in and he does his work infallibly. But that also involves him coming to us and bringing about this crisis of choice. Are you going to follow me or not? Are you not only going to be confronted with me as king, are you going to embrace me as king? And all who step into faith answer that question by saying, yes, I will. That it involves this crisis of choice. And that's exactly what Simeon speaks of. Look at these very strange words that he says to Mary. Imagine this being said to you as you're, um, you know, you're being blessed by this man, your firstborn child. Look what he says in verse 34 as he speaks to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And in the sight, uh, and, a, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay, what does he say Jesus is going to do? This Prince of Peace who has come, this Savior who has come. He says, it is going to incite opposition. He says, Mary, this child of yours is going to grow, and he's going to create an incredible wedge in the world. And some will embrace him. They will rise. And some will reject him. They will fall. And he says the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. In context here, Luke is talking about the, the harsh, the divisive, the rebellious thoughts of many hearts will be revealed when they are confronted with the call of Jesus that people embrace him as their king. The Holy Spirit comes to do that. Jesus comes to do that, to call us. Will you embrace me as king? Will you step into a decision that is going to change every aspect of your life? It's going to become the life-defining change and choice for you. And like Simeon and Anna, that is not a choice simply that is made on the day that one comes to faith, though it's certainly that. But you see, with them, this is a choice they continue to step into as they continue to follow and seek after their God. Anna, this picture of her, 84 years, worshiping in the temple, giving herself to following hard after God. Simeon, righteous and devout. People that are continually embracing their king. And it's the same for us. Those of us who have called upon Christ, are we continuing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are we continuing to embrace our king, to live in the daily reality of what it means to follow Jesus, to take him at his word that he is, in fact, the sovereign Lord of the universe? And if that is the case, how could it be that that does not affect every little aspect of our life, every decision that we make, the way we look at our families, the way we look at our work, the way we step into relationships with others? Jesus comes and says, I am king over that also. I'm king over all. So the Holy Spirit comes that we might embrace our king and that we might continue to make a life-changing decision and choice in following him. That's what happens with Simeon and with Anna. But then the last thing we see with them is the effect that has on them. And maybe one way to summarize that is that it brings them, by embracing this king, following him, it brings them a deep security of soul, a rootedness, a strength in life. And that plays out, I think, in three ways we can see that for them. It plays out in joy, and it plays out in resilience, and it plays out in confidence. 
Okay, that's what we see manifest in the lives of Simeon and Anna. First, joy. Look how Simeon and Anna respond when they are confronted with this king who comes. When Simeon looks and he sees Mary and Joseph and he rushes to him and he pulls Jesus to himself and embraces him. What, what does he say? Verse 28, he took Jesus in his arms and he blessed God. He goes on to give him praise. What does he do? He rejoices. He blesses God. He gives thanks for this incredible gift that's been given to him. And for him, the very personal significance of hearing this message of the Spirit to him, you will not die until you see the Lord's Messiah. He says, this is the day. This king has come. And he responds in worship. And that's how Anna responds also when she comes and sees Jesus. Verse 38, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What does she do? She comes and gives thanks. Thank you, God, for this gift you have given me of this king. But she doesn't stop there. She goes on to speak of this king to anyone else who will listen. She begins to proclaim, this king who has come, my king who has come, is our king who has come. Look. Look what God is doing. Respond in joy. Second thing, this security of soul brings us joy, but it also brings resilience. Because this kind of embracing of the king, this kind of unbreakable, unshakable relationships that this creates between us and God will breathe real and true spiritual strength and power into your life that will hold you and sustain you even in the face of the very real struggles, the very real pain that life continues to bring our way and that some of you are very much in the midst of even right now this morning. Look at what Luke tells us about Anna. Verses 36 through 37 in this resilience of soul. If you were to go back again and look at Simeon, we're told about his character. He's righteous and devout. But with Anna, we're told something about her story her life history. And in particular, we are told something about a defining tragedy that happened in her life. We find out that she had been married, again, likely around the age of 15, married seven years, and then widowed. And now, age 84, maybe after 84 years of being a widow, still, still alone. For anybody, losing a spouse is deeply painful and tragic. There are many folks in our conversation in our in our congregation who, who know exactly what that is like. For Anna in her culture, she experienced all the pain of the separation and loss that that brings, but she also experienced uh, some social and, and, and life ramifications that, that many of us in our culture don't. Uh, for, for a woman in, in her day and age, you know she grows up attached to her family, which is her, which is her central community and her care, and she's married and she now starts this new family. To be a widow in that day and age left you incredibly exposed, without, potentially without real family ties that were going to help support you. We don't know if she had any children, but the picture we get seems to be that, that perhaps she didn't. She's been living in or near the temple. That's where she spends her life. It may well be that she suffered not only the loss of her spouse, but uh, a, a, a deep and life-threatening aloneness in life as well, a lack of security. No children to take care of her in her old age. It's not easy in the first century to go and get a job as a single woman and support yourself, exposed to all kinds of struggle 
and difficulty. What would a situation like that do to you or do to me? Or what is a situation like that doing to us even, even today? What did it do to Anna? Well, remarkably with her, it did not make her bitter. And it did not make her shake her fist at God. And it did not make her withdraw. In fact, it did just the opposite. It didn't drive her from God. It drove her to God. Verse 37, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. See, somehow Anna experienced the resilience that the presence of God brings in her life. She chose to let her experience of deep pain and suffering drive her not away from God, but to God. It didn't fraction and weaken her relationship with God. It didn't make her pull away or wall herself up. It drove her deeper, closer to God. It made her that much thirstier for the only one she knew who could quench her thirst and her need. She knew she was empty, and she came to the fountain of life, to her king, and ultimately here, to Jesus. Uh, I read something uh, recently about how they make steel out of iron. Uh, And apparently, steel is made strong and resilient by exposing it to incredibly high heat. That you have to put it under this kind of intense heat and pressure in order to somehow change the metal so that at the end of the process, it is stronger and more resilient than it was at the beginning. But that only, that tempering only comes through heat, through stress. What do we see with Anna in the middle of the heat and stress of her life? God uses that not to break her, but she allows it to temper her as it, in fact, draws her closer to God, as it, in fact, strengthens her relationship with her God, not weakens it. The struggling and suffering of our life can break us as they tempt us because we can can easily conclude at times that God is absent or against us, or they can temper us. They can make us stronger. They can make us more resilient. If in faith we stand on the promises of Scripture, we trust in the God who is revealed to us here, even in Luke 2. This God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have sent my King that you might be saved and safe and healed. I will never leave you. That will temper us. Brings a resilience and a joy. We also see here that brings a new confidence. Struck by Simeon's uh, words as he picks up this baby Jesus. <clears throat> it says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Okay, Holy Spirit has told him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's anointed. And then he picks up this child and he says, Lord, you are now letting me depart in peace. If uh, you're familiar with the Latin, this passage is known as the nunc dimittis. The first two words of Latin, now dismiss, now dismiss your servant. It's a remarkable statement from, statement from Simeon. I have found my king, and now I can die. I have found my king, and now I am safe. And now I am secure. And now nothing can break me, not even death. Lord, you can now dismiss your servant. Similar to what Paul says in Philippians 1, 
says that I have full courage now as always that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. As one commentator said, anyone who has seen Jesus with the eyes of faith is prepared to die like Simeon. That's what Paul comes to in Romans 8 when he speaks of the great security that we have in Jesus our King. He says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of, of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Joy, resilience, and confidence. Nothing can shake this fundamental reality. Christ is Lord. Christ is my Lord. He will bring me home. Come what may. It's the king that Simeon and Anna, find and embrace these two people who are waiting and watching and thirsty for the presence of God in their life. With this ongoing thirst, I've been thinking about this idea of thirst, and let me conclude with this. I read an article this week, which um, I'll put a link to it on our, our blog, on our website. It's worth reading, but it's by a man named Donald Whitney, who's a Baptist pastor and uh, seminary professor and writer, and he speaks of this thirst of the soul, and he, he talks about three different kinds of thirst. He speaks of the thirst of the empty soul, the thirst of the dry soul, and the thirst of the satisfied soul. And the first of those, he says, the thirst of the empty soul is the thirst of the one who does not know this kind of relationship with Jesus the King. He says, we're all spiritually thirsty people. But that thirst only leaves us in emptiness until we come to Jesus this King. And he speaks of the thirst of those who know Jesus. Two kinds. He says the thirst of the dry soul. He says, you know, there are, there are times in all our lives where we go through these maybe even prolonged times of real dryness and weariness of soul where we long for a closer and intimate relationship with God and it feels so far away. He says the longing of the dry soul is one that continues to come back again and again to the pages of Scripture. Lord, show me yourself here. Lord, I need you. Lord, wean me off all the other fountains from which I drink that I might find my satisfaction in you. And then there's also, he says, the thirst of the satisfied soul. That even in those moments when we know the intimacy and the richness of Christ in such a tangible way, that we know that it is never a thirst that, that's such that we, can, that we can take a drink and walk away. It is a thirst that always drives us back again and again to the source of that water, to Jesus himself, our thirst continually brings us back to Him, the fountain, the spring of living waters. We are thirsty people. Would God meet us in our thirst? Would we own up to our thirst? And we, like Simeon and Anna, would, would we look to our King, the one who can meet us in our thirst, embrace Him, look to Him? Let me conclude with a prayer by A.W. Tozer. 
O God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made thirsty still. And Lord, we do look to you and echo this prayer and pray that you and your goodness would make us thirsty where we are not, that we might desire you. And would you be the one who meets us in our thirst? Lord, we look to Jesus, our King. Would we embrace him? It is a gift of your spirit. It calls us continually to a decisive choice that we would follow you. And it is the one thing that can give deep rest to our souls, real joy in the midst of hardship, and real resilience and real confidence. Lord, would you bring us that even now? We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.